So this is the 50th anniversary this uh, month. It really was like last week uh, where Woodstock happened in New York State. 50 years, can you believe it? 50 years. And it is estimated that over half a million people, 500,000 people, it is estimated somewhere around there, gathered on the farm, uh, Bethel Woods Farm in a field. And most of those people thought, we're going to a music festival. We're going to see Jimi Hendrix, and we're going to see, uh, you know, all these incredible groups. And what they didn't realize, or maybe what they did realize, was they were becoming part of a revolution. There was a revolution going on, and it was music sometimes is part of revolutions, and it became part of a, a revolution. And it's interesting because the passage we're going to look at this weekend is a similar Thing. It's a similar idea, and it's a similar, it's taking place. It's kind of like the Woodstock of, of old, in a sense. It wasn't a music festival, but it was a festival where Jesus was teaching people on a hillside. And the people gathering there were looking to, revolu- to be part of a revolution. And so that's the passage we're going to look at this week. It's kind of interesting, and it's very uh, illumin- illuminating. So uh, what I'd love you to do is to jump in your Bibles, and if you don't have one, we have these blue Bibles, um, but we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 6, verse 30. We're moving through the book of Mark, and we're learning kind of just every weekend, we're learning something new about who Jesus is, and we're looking for how it applies to our lives. So Mark chapter 6, verse 30 and I'm going to read, starting at verse 30, we've, we made a mention, uh, I think it was last weekend, where I talked about how the, there was a sandwich. And you'll have to look at it, the message last weekend, and how there's a sandwich where Jesus sends the 12 out, and then he talks about John the Baptist and the beheading of John the Baptist by Herod. And then we come to verse 30, and it's like the end of the sending out of the 12, right? And so I want to read that again, because I want you to catch that they've been out now doing ministry. They're tired. They're worn out. They've, they need a rest. And this is what we see. So Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going <clears throat> that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five, five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and two fish. 
And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute them to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. So we see that the gathering place was in this remote hill country where Jesus was trying to get his disciples away from the crowd so that they could find rest. And many scholars believe that the location that they found themselves in um, was where many of the freedom fighters were, were locating themselves. The freedom fighters, think of them as guerrilla zealots. They were waging a war against Rome, the oppression of Rome. They were Jewish warriors who were looking to, and if you read the, the uh, um, you could read about the stories of these freedom fighters and these guerrilla zealots. Uh, we have the, the book of Maccabees, which is really describing some of the battles that the Jewish warriors would have against the Roman government, the family of Maccabean, the Maccabean family. And so the, these are really, he's, he's in a place where people are gathering around him who are looking for a revolution. But more importantly, they're looking for a leader. They're looking for somebody to lead the revolution. And they see Jesus as a potential uh, of being that leader. And uh, Jesus, though, was on a different path. He was leading a different kind of revolution. And essentially, he is going to clue them in on what that is as we read, go a little deeper into our passage. But the interesting phrase he uses is he looked at them and he said, they're like shepherd without a sheep. Now, we tend to think of that as a very pastoral type thing. We think of that as, you know, sheep grazing in a field and a shepherd overlooking them. And uh, in a sense, that's true. But when we see how that phrase is used, especially in the Old Testament and other places, it's generally used of, of um, a liberation. It's, it's generally seen as uh, a nation without a, a ruling king. It's a, it's a people who need uh, somebody to lead them into battle. And so the people wanted liberation from the Roman oppression, but Jesus, what does he do? He begins to preach the gospel to them. He, tell, he, he shares with them the good news. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus asked his disciples to find uh, food for the people. And we're going to see even in, in what he does is very symbolic. The, even the distribution of the food is very symbolic. The, the, when, the, when he has the bread, he breaks the bread. He gives thanks to God. It's very symbolic. And it reminds us of, of another group of people who are out in the wilderness without food. And that's Moses and the people of Israel and the Exodus. And we have manna, right? And every day the people had to go and find manna because God was providing for their daily needs. And so Jesus, I think, through this passage, what we're going to see is he's trying to teach the people you don't need... Uh, a, a Maccabean rev, uh, leader for your, revo- your next revolution against Rome. What you need, you have a deeper need because you have a deeper oppression. You have a deeper hunger. And he wanted them to know that only he could fill their deeper need. They had a deeper uh, oppression than just Rome. So we have to see the same thing. We have to see the same thing. Um, we need to see that we, have, we, we not only have a hunger, we have a hunger that only Jesus can meet, and we have an oppression that only Jesus can settle. Uh, but I, what I want to do for the rest of the passage, and we'll unpack it a little bit as we go, is I want to draw five lessons from this passage. Five lessons. And here's the first one. And they should be in your notes. Um, here they are. The first one is this. 
that only Jesus can, can satisfy, and this is what I've kind of been talking about, your spiritual hunger. Only Jesus can satisfy your spiritual hunger. Everyone and everything else will fall short. And so there's many pursuits that we're after today, right? Uh, career, family, uh, you know, pleasure. We can, we can go after money. We can go after all those things. So what does Jesus do? He calls his disciples after this mission they've been on, and they're, 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 just, they're high. They're just, I mean, they're so excited about the mission. They, they've cast out demons. They've healed people, and they're recounting stories of that. But they're, 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 they're absolutely drained. They're, they're tired. And so Jesus calls his disciples to a place of rest. And he says to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. We all need, and, and maybe this is where, maybe this is the point you'll take away this weekend, is we all need a place and a time for spiritual rest. This brings us to the deepest need, the deepest human need we have. And the deepest need we have is not to pay our bills, it's not to have good health, it's not to have people who around us who love us. Those are all good and important things. But the greatest need that we have is to connect with our Creator and our Savior. There's a spiritual dimension that every one of us has, a spiritual hunger, Jesus calls it, a spiritual thirst that only he can fulfill. And uh, here's what I found. We can, either, we can try to get by without him, but we can only thrive with him. We can get by without him, but we can only thrive with him. Now, here's what I found. So I've been working on projects this summer. Probably some of you are, too. And one of the projects I was working on, I had to drill through some metal. And so I pulled my cache of drill bits out and put them in and started to drill. And the first one was dull and didn't get anywhere. And I threw it aside and did the. I think I went through five or six drills before I found one that was sharp. Finally get through. And when I got a sharp one, it went right through. And here's what I found. And maybe this is what's going on in your life right now. You're trying to fix the problems in your life, trying to drill the hole, you're trying to fix the problems in your life right now. But you haven't really taken time to say, do I even have a sharp drill bit? Am I trying to do this with a dull bit? Because this is getting, this is so hard to do this. Let me give you another illustration. You can try to take a tree down. You can have a dull axe. You know what? You put a lot of work into it and you don't get very far. You get a sharp axe, man. And some of you have not taken spiritual rest. And you wonder why life is so hard. And you wonder why you're so worried and caught up and just struggling. Well, that's why. You need to get away with Jesus. You need to get alone. You need to sharpen the axe. You need to sharpen the drill bit. You, you, that's what you need. And, and Jesus, Jesus essentially says that in John chapter 6. He says, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Well, of course, we all thirst and we all hunger. So he can't mean physically. He's talking spiritually. It's some of you here this weekend, some of you listening online, whatever campus you may be, you're hungering, you're thirsting, but you don't take the time to be with him, the one who can quench that thirst, the one who can satisfy that hunger. Notice that Jesus seeks to get the 12 alone for a time of spiritual refreshing. We all need those times. 
where we, we need to find our rest and refreshing in Jesus. Now, what is a time of refreshing? Because some of you may not even know what I'm talking about. It's very simply this. It's just taking time and maybe taking a passage of Scripture, a short passage, and it's saying, Jesus, speak to me through your word right now. Maybe through the Psalms or something. And then you just say, God, speak to my heart right now. Fill my heart. Feed my soul. Help me to know that you are there. Help me to know that you have a plan. Help me to know that I can trust you. And, and help me to look to you more. Help me to... All those different things. And you, you kind of end with kind of a prayer. And you'll find... You've got to get rid of your phone. You've got to get rid of the distractions. You've got to be quiet before God. That's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to get, a, get them away from the crowd. Separate so that you can focus on what you need most. And so that's how it's done. So let me ask you a couple questions. How is your time of refreshing going? Are you finding the quiet place and some time to be with Jesus? These times of being with Jesus are vital to your spiritual health. And some of you, maybe that's the only thing you needed to hear this weekend, is that you're, you're thirsty and you're hungry, and it's because you haven't spent time with Jesus. Here's the second point that we want to draw from the passage. Seek his kingdom, not just his provision. And what I mean by that is the 12 in the crowd were able to experience the, the miraculous provision of Jesus because they basically sought him out. They pursued Jesus. The crowd is looking for him. And for whatever reason, whatever motive, they were looking for Jesus. They were pursuing him. And Jesus included others in this miraculous multiplying uh, some bread and fish to feed thousands of people. Now, the text says there was 5,000 men. So we can assume there were women there. We can assume there were children there. So there's anywhere from 10 to 20,000 people probably. And that's a reasonable guess at how many people. And remember, we have five, what are you, five loaves and some fish. So we don't, we're not working with a whole lot. But here's what I found. Maybe this isn't true with you, but this is what I found for my own life. And I, I've talked to other Christians. Sometimes we tend to only bother Jesus for the heavy lifting things in life. We say, oh, this is a small thing. It's not a big thing. This is, not, this is not something I should trouble Jesus with. He's too busy. He, 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 he's there for the heavy lifting. He's there for the big things. Um, and we often scrounge around for our daily needs only to seek Jesus for the big emergency times of life. Do you find that you're doing that? Do you find that sometimes that you're, you're, you, you don't even bother Jesus with the little things in life you just want to bother him when there's a big thing, so you don't bother him at all, because some of you don't have a lot of big things going on. But in our passage, notice the people weren't just, they were not just fed, they were satisfied. Can we agree that we need to seek Jesus more than we currently are? That this excuse of this is not a big thing and we shouldn't trouble Jesus is really a lame excuse and not a good one? Um, can we agree that we need to seek Jesus for everything, not just the big things? Look at what Jesus says. This is Matthew chapter 6. And these are the words of Jesus. He says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But then what does he say? Seek first his kingdom. 
and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Every day has enough trouble of its own. But notice that key phrase there. Seek what? First. Seek him first. Seek his kingdom first. Now, Jesus gives us uh, the promise of his provision. And notice that we're to seek his kingdom first, and then all these things will be given to us. So that means, if I'm just reading this correctly, I think, that doesn't mean we just seek him first for the big things. We just seek him for the big things. We seek him first for everything. See, every time we seek God second, we're taking our, uh, on our own provision. We're scrounging for ourselves. But God Almighty provides for those who seek him first. He is a good father desiring to meet our needs in his gracious abundance. So it may be that sometimes while we're busy scrounging around to provide for the little things, Jesus is saying, if you come to me, you won't have to scrounge. I will provide. And James essentially says that. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Notice it says, do not be deceived every good gift. It's not, so, so we, we have to get away from this whole idea that I, I'm just going to give God the heavy lifting. I'm just going to deal, ask, I'm just going to go to Jesus for the big things. I'm not going to go for him the little things. And, and here's what we're going to find in this passage. We have it happening all over. There's some really little things going on here, and Jesus is saying the little things are really important. And Jesus does that a lot because we downplay the little things. Well, that's just a little thing. It's not a big thing. It's not a big deal. Just downplay it. And Jesus says, no, it's a big deal. Remember the woman who gave at the temple, and she gave two small coins, and Jesus says, hold the phone, stop. Look at what she just did. And they go, it was two little coins. Come on. Nothing. It's a little thing maybe for you, but it was a big thing for her. Little things Jesus picks out and says, you, you think, what is, what is five fish and, or five loaves and some fish with ten to 20,000 people? It's a little thing. It's a little thing. Jesus says, no, it's, it's all I need. It's all I need. And that brings us to the third point. Give God what you already have. A little in the hand of God is a lot. A little in the hand of God is a lot. And, and here's, I think, really something that really struck me and reminded me again of, of who we're dealing with. We're dealing with Almighty God, the creator of the universe, the one who sent his son for us. Uh, Jesus asks him, he says, well, what do you have? And they say, well, five loaves and two fish. And, and that's all they found. Thousands of people are there, and that's all they can find. That's all they can grab together. It's, you know, when you look at it, you say, that's woefully inadequate. There's no way that, you know, they might be able to smell it all. And, but they, they're, they're, there's no way that that's ever going to be close to what they need. And here's the point, I think, that Jesus wants us to see. We often think, I don't have much to give God. So we give him nothing. We also think, when, when I have more time, when I have more treasure, when I have more, you know, abilities or whatever, then I will give to God. When I'm blessed, then I will. But I have nothing to give Him. I have nothing. But here's the thing. 
If you don't give to God what little you have now, he will never give you his riches. Now, I'm going to show you whether this is true in Scripture. Because we often make an excuse, well, if I had something to give, I'd give it. But I don't have any. Now, is our five loaves and a couple of fish something? Yeah, there's something. And not much. And even one of the disciples said, what is this for so many? We often think that, don't we? We often think that. We, have, we often think, well, I need more. I need, we need to do more. You'll never see the miracles of God until you're willing to turn everything over to him. Until we become good stewards of all that he has given us, we will be left to scrounge around. Some of us are scrounging because we're just not willing to give God the little we have. Look at, look at this verse. This, this verse is going it, to, it should, if you're, if you're allowing the Spirit of God to speak to your life this weekend, this verse should hit every follower of Jesus Christ like a ton of bricks. It should cause you to rethink this whole idea. Well, I don't have anything to give him. Because we're judging it as, well, it's not much. It's not significant. It's not, I wish it was more. When it is more then, but not now. Look at what he says. This is Luke chapter 16. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. That phrase, very little, is really a good translation and essentially means a pittance. It's like, oh, I don't know. It's like five loaves and a couple of fish. It's not a lot. It's not a lot. But if God can't trust you in the little things, why would he trust you in the bigger things? That's the point. Can I be trusted when I don't have enough? We often think we, be, we, we will begin to be faithful and generous stewards when we have enough. And Jesus says, well, listen, if I can't trust you when you don't have enough, why in the world would I trust you when you do? All of a sudden, every one of us realizes that we have made excuses for our bad stewardship. If you're not faithful in shortage, why should God trust you in his abundance? I mean, come on, think about it. It makes sense, doesn't it? Jesus gave thanks. This is what blows me, blows me away. Some of the commentators I was reading, and I just kind of came across it, and then I saw it, but it kind of hit home this time. Jesus, he, he gets the... He gets the the five loaves and the, and the fish, the two fish, and he, give, he holds the bread up and he gives thanks to God for it. Right? He holds it up. What is he giving thanks for? He's not holding up the 12 baskets at the end, is he? He's not saying, bring the baskets here. Let's circle the baskets and thank God. This is what's left over. It's more than we started with. <laughs> and he doesn't do that. He is giving thanks to God in the the lack of abundance in the shortage. Do you realize that? He's thanking God for that which was not enough. How often have you done that? 
How often have you not had enough? And you say, God, thank you for what I have. Even though it's not enough, thank you for what I have. There wasn't enough bread and fish for the crowd, and Jesus gives thanks. Jesus gives thanks for the very little. Can you give thanks for the very little in life, the just enough? Can you do that? Jesus, well, why would I trust you in lean times or in times of great supply when I can't trust you in lean times? Paul says this, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Jesus did that, do we? Now, here's, here's how to become faithful, generous followers and stewards right now. Three things, three quick things. You might want to write these down. First one is this. Share what you have, a little or a lot, do it now. Don't make excuses that you don't have anything to share. Share what you have. If it's a little or a lot, that's fine. Just share it. Don't make excuses. Secondly, if you can't share it, if people can't borrow it, because you're afraid that you might lose it or it might get dinged up or broken or something like that, realize that whatever you have can be rotting your soul. Some people are more concerned about things than they are about people. That's a problem. That's a problem if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. All right, number three, don't get stuck on how little you might have if they, had, if they had said, oh, well, this isn't enough, and just said, well, let's just send, like the disciples said, send the people away, they would have never seen the miracle. You know, the verse we love, <laughs> the point is, if you're looking for a miracle, it doesn't matter how much you begin with, right? Right? It doesn't matter. Uh, but we like this verse. We, we see it on, on cups and shirts. And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches, in the, in, uh, according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, the context of that verse is very interesting. So what I want to challenge you to do is later on go back and read the context. What Paul is doing, he's commending the Philippian believers, the church, and he's basically saying, you guys were really generous to me, so much so that I have everything I need. Through you, God has supplied my needs. That's what he's saying. Now notice, he's, he's saying, when he says this, he says what made him really excited was not that he had his needs met. What he was excited was that he knew that God was going to bless them far surpassing what they ever dreamed, and he, he wished he could be there to see it and watch it. Because they had been so generous and he knew that God was going to bless them. So he was really, he wanted to see them. But the point I want you to see is this is not a promise if you are not being a faithful steward of what he's given you. The context is this is written to faithful stewards of what they've been given. It's not for you if you're stingy, if it's you and you got you grab on with your hands held tight and you say, it's mine, 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 whatever it is. By the way, that's not just your money. That's your house, your car, it's your kids, it's your, 
It's your life. It's your time. And, and you, you, you basically hold on to it and say, it's mine, mine, mine. The promise is for those who are faithful stewards of what God has given you. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Don't just take that out of context, pull it out and patch it into your life. That's not the way it works. We need to understand that uh, there's a context there. The question is not this. And here's the, here's the thing. It's, it's not can you handle a lot? Can you handle a little? Can you be faithful in a little? I mean, come on, we do that all the time, don't we? When we train people for a new job, we say, can they handle it? Not going to make a manager today. But can they handle, I don't know, maybe putting pop in a cup or, you know, sweeping a floor or cleaning a a bathroom? And uh, Jesus kind of says the same thing. He says, okay, can you be faithful in the little that you have? Can you give thanks for the little that you have? All right, number four, remember the loaves as a testimony of God's faithfulness. Remember the loaves as a testimony of God's faithfulness. I have found that I am good at forgetting the abundant blessings of God in my life. I forget the loaves. Um, I forget the baskets. Do you see the purpose of the gathering? It's very evident. I mean, if you read through it, maybe it just dawned on you and good for you, but it's very apparent. And then, you know, Mark calls the disciples the 12, right? And so how many baskets did they gather up after everyone not just had had a bite, but were satisfied? That's like going to um, a restaurant and you, you, you can go back as many times as you want. And you walk out and you go, well, I'm satisfied. I couldn't eat another thing, you know? This is not, I walk out and go, you know... Now I'm hungry. No, it's like they're satisfied. And so how many baskets did they gather up afterwards? Twelve. Why? So that every disciple could see they had their own basket with the loaves, the broken pieces of the loaves in there. And they go, this is the morning we began with. And everybody's satisfied. They just didn't take a bite. They are satisfied. Here's what I find. We often bypass the miracles of God because we are so busy scrounging around for our basic needs. I can tell you, and I was talking to Carol about this this last week. I said, you know, it seems to me that the times where we just didn't know where we were going to pay the next bill or how we were going to get by the next doctor's visit or whatever it was, or were we going to buy food or were we going to get medicine? What are we going to do here? This is, by the way, when I was in ministry. (laughs) But that being the case, we saw God miraculously come through. I mean, in ways you can't describe. I don't see it as much now. I think that bothers me a lot. I believe we often prevent God from performing miracles in our lives. Why? Because we try to fix things without consulting him. We fail to look to Jesus by faith. We forget about the loaves. 
We say, well, this is too little. This is not significant. This isn't important. I don't want to bother him with it. By the way, next weekend, uh, you met Deanna, our new elementary director, and she's doing a great job. And she has a husband, and his name is Marty. And Marty was a his last pat his last ministry was being a senior pastor western part of iowa for 20 years and he's coming next weekend to preach on the next passage we're going to look at uh next weekend but i want to jump into it just for a second because there's a part of it that i want you to see so there's a storm and this is what it says uh the storm is the storm is calmed by jesus And it says, immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts had become hardened. Now there's a lot there to unpack, and Marty will take some time next weekend to unpack it. And I think you're going to enjoy listening to Marty and learning from him because he has something from God to share. But let me say, see this. They forgot the loaves. We forget the loaves. And we need to remember the loaves. We need to remember the loaves. We need to remember the one who supplies all of our needs. We need to constantly remember the loaves, his provision, or our hearts will become hardened. I don't like it when Jesus says my heart is becoming hardened because I've forgotten. I haven't continually rehearsed how he has worked in my life through people and circumstances and miraculous ways and just looked and say, you know, and you just kind of come to a place and say, God, you're so good. Why do I ever worry? (laughs) We worry because we don't look at the loaves. We worry because we forget. We worry because our hearts become hard. Last point. God sometimes needs to break things before he can fix them. The interesting thing is Jesus breaks the bread. That's very significant. That phrase has meaning in in Christian community. Breaking bread was supper. Breaking bread, the ultimate breaking bread was Jesus when he broke the bread at the Last Supper, right? So there's a symbolism there. And it points us to another brokenness. The bread had to be broken to feed the thousands. And there's no miracle without a mess. Sometimes you say, well, I'd love to see a miracle. Well, you know, I mean, a miracle's going to happen when your life is a mess. (laughs) Usually, when it's not going to happen when things are going well. It's when things go bad. And Jesus comes in with a miracle because you're in a mess. Jesus had to be broken so that we could be made whole. He entered into our mess so that we could experience a miracle. John describes that. He says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called sons and daughters of God, children of God. Jesus entered the mess that we called life on earth. And he got the, the horns, right? He got the spear. He got the cross. He got the mess. He took the mess 
He was broken for our sin and rebellion. He gave his life on the cross, provided the miraculous deliverance we all need from sin and death. He was broken so that you could be made whole. So many people, especially in, well, not especially, but there's so many people and in our community, it's absolutely true. They're scrounging around trying to earn their own salvation. They're trying to be good enough. They're trying to live a good enough life or better than others. Or they're trying to come up with some sort of a way where they can get to God. They can find favor with God. They're scrounging around for, to earn their own salvation. But here's the point, and the point Jesus was very clear. We must come to a place where we realize that Jesus is our only hope. It's only if Jesus is broken for us that we can be made whole. It's only if Jesus will shed his blood for us that we can have our sins forgiven. It's only if Jesus will die for us that we will live forever. It doesn't matter what you believe. The demons believe in Jesus and his deity and probably have better theology than you and me. And they ain't going to heaven. They don't want to be there. It doesn't matter what religious tradition or family tradition you grew up in. And Jesus isn't going to go, oh, I'm really impressed with that. That's significant. No. There's only one question that needs to be settled. What have you done with my son? He was broken for you. And really, the only answer is, I realized that I was lost, and I was helpless and hopeless. I was drowning. And Jesus entered into the mess of my life, and he gave his life so that I could be saved, so I could be forgiven. He took the wrath that I deserved. He took the punishment that should have come my way, and it all fell on him. I don't understand that, but I realized that unless he takes that, I'm dead. He took a bullet for me. I'm alive because he died. I live because he gave his life for me. And when you come to that place, you realize that only as I give my life to him because he gave his life to me will I find life, true life. And we don't just give our lives to him once. We give our lives to him daily. We give our lives to him every moment of every day in the little things and the big things. We don't exclude him. We don't compartmentalize him. We allow him to have free reign in our life. And when he does that, he begins to change us and we become different people. Have you given your life to him? Have you realized that he's your only hope? Jesus began in a group of people that were, were looking for a political military revolution and jesus says let me tell you about another revolution it's the revolution for your soul and he preached the gospel let's pray help us father because without your help we can't do this we need you some of us father would be uh, if we were honest we would say we haven't been good stewards We've always made excuses and said, well, we don't have much to offer. I don't have much time or talent or, or money. And, and so we've, we've not given anything. <laughs> Some of us have said, one day I'm going to. Some of us, Father, have 
put you kind of at an arm's length or kind of it as an emergency policy. We, we've, we've put you off and said, I'm not going to trouble him with the little things of life. I'm only going to trouble him with when I get into a real mess. Father, help us to realize that a little, little in your hands is a lot. Help us to remember that we need to thank you for the little. And we need to remember the loaves. But most of all, help us to realize that Jesus came to enter in the mess of our lives, to be broken instead of us so that we could live. May we never take it for granted. And may we always be amazed by it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.